wife last service. She was here with me and, uh, and my kids. And um, my mom gets to be here tomorrow, so I get a chance to see her tomorrow. And so that's, that's kind of neat, having two special moms in my life in my church. That's pretty cool. Um, I need you to take out a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, please raise your hand and we'll get one right to where you're at. Uh, Nancy West and Kelly will be helping you out this evening, so please keep your hands up until you get one of those. Also, take out the handout sheet that is in your bulletin, and we can get rolling on tonight's message. Uh, tonight is part nine of a ten-part series through the book of Proverbs. So we got tonight, and then next week, and we're all, all done wrapping it up. Hope you've been blessed by this series. It's been intensely practical, for sure. I definitely know that. Um, and what I tried to do is break down the book of Proverbs into its ten most logical topics. And one of the things it talks a great amount about is the issue of handling money wisely. And so I entitled tonight's message, a bit tongue-in-cheek here, about God's economic stimulus plan. You see, we got our government doing all kinds of tax incentives trying to stimulate the economy. And I thought, well, I think God's doing the same thing. He just does it better. Anyway, I wanted to get, read a quote there by Ron Blue, a financial guru. He was kind of real popular a while back. I haven't heard too much from him lately. But he said this. He said, giving from the heart breaks the power of money because the giver must first acknowledge the true owner of the money and see himself or herself as merely a manager of those finances. Um, all night long, I'm going to keep saying the same phrase over and over and over again, which is, let's be practical about this. So in order to do that, I need you to turn with me into the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 16. It's page 455 in the Bibles that were handed to you, 455. Once again, that was Proverbs chapter 10, verse 16. Lest you think that money is not a big deal, uh, there are verses like this in the Bible. The wages of the righteous bring them life, but the income of the wicked brings them punishment. When you start using words like life and punishment to describe an element of life, it's probably a big deal. And indeed, money's a huge deal. Jesus talked far more about money than he did about heaven. Interesting. And why? Because money isn't about money. It's about what it stands behind, or what's behind it, I should say. Um, money is about priority. Money is about what you trade for, right? Because every we're all in the barter system, whether you want to call it green cash or credit or whatever you want to call it, it's still a barter system. That if you go and work for a job, you're trading your time for something to gain. It's just you got to always weigh and evaluate what are you trading away in order to get that bit of green. Here's what I believe it to be. It's a fill in the blank in front of you. As simply as I can put it, this is what I believe money to be. Money is both a stewardship test and a tangible blessing, both for you and the people around you. See, I believe that money is a stimulus to grow up. In other words, money is a test of the small things. You guys, the Bible is, is uh, clear that God seems to put testing through, whether it's Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac that he was called to, or whether you're in the New Testament, and Jesus keeps telling these stories like, imagine a king, and he's going to go away, and so he puts all his responsibility upon some servants, and he takes off, and when he comes back, he says, hey, what would you guys do with what I left you? Parable of talents, parable of minas, it goes over and over and over again. So 
The Bible keeps talking about the fact that in this dry run of going through this life, at least one of the elements of it is to see what we'll do with the small stuff. Because as each individual servant was met by the king, what did he tell him? He said to most of them, well done, my what? Good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in these things. Therefore, I'm going to give you greater things. This is a test of the emergency broadcast system. This it, the idea is that when we're living through this life, God's going, here, I'm going to give you a little bit of stuff. What are you going to do with it? Here, I gave you 10 bucks. What did you do with it? Right? And so we go through test after test after test. Every time we get a paycheck, that's a bit of a test. What are you going to do with it? Because a lot of people, and you can hear it said a bunch of different ways, they say, examine your checkbook and you'll find out where your heart is. Right? Well, why do they say that? Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. All you're doing is listing out your priorities. Where you're spending your cash, you'll find out what you value. I mean, it's not, it's not rocket science. It's pretty basic. But as we examine how we spend our money, we realize whether or not we're growing, whether we're becoming less selfish or more selfish. It reveals an awful lot about us. But it's not just about stewardship. It's also about blessing. And blessing can be to you. For example... If we have a good heavenly father, he likes to give his kids gifts. And so he'll give you a chance to have a job and then he'll bless you with a paycheck and go, hey, I want you to buy a bike or whatever. And the point is just to make you smile. That's really the whole point. It's not any deeper than that. And yet what's funny is we either do one of two things. Either we do, oh, I don't need a bike. It's no big deal. I'm too holy for that. Okay. Or we say, really, I get that kind of bike. Okay. That's called a brat. You understand what I'm saying? And a lot of times, all we do is complain through our lives when the whole point was he was trying to give you a present so you'd say, what, children? Thank you. That's, that's what we were taught to say. And it's really funny because before we go anywhere with my kids, uh, for example, I'm trying to think, where were we headed the other day um, when we're going over to somebody else's house? Oh, I remember what it was. My mom, for her birthday, wanted all of her um, kids and grandkids, we were all going to go to Marine World. That was last weekend. So we went to Marine World um, so she could have her grandkids around her. Well, and of course, I ran to come here. Well, right before we get out of the car, what's the conversation we have with our kids? Okay, now grandma is paying for this trip. She's already giving you a really big gift. We're not going to spend all our time asking for more stuff. Right. We have to have this conversation before we go anywhere. Why? Because the first inclination is just to go more, 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 more. Right. So you have to stop and you go, hey, can you be grateful for what you get? OK, well, that's what God does periodically with us is he stops us, backs us up. Sometimes we lose our jobs. Sometimes we have difficulties. Sometimes we have problems. And what it does is a re-rack going, I'm sorry, why are you not grateful for what you have? Why are we doing this? So but it's not just a blessing for you. It's also a blessing for other people. You go, what do you mean? I mean, the answer to someone's prayer might be in your wallet. Right? They're out there praying desperately for relief from a problem. And yet, the relief of that problem takes money. So, we all assume that if God wants to meet somebody's need in this world, that they're going to receive a check from the church of God. Right? Um, you know, so all of a sudden it's going to be the bank of God now has issued you a note and it's come on. Is that really how God's going to meet their need? Or is he probably going to use a tangible human being that's going to write the check? 
Okay, usually whenever you receive a blessing or a gift, and I want you guys to scan back through your life, whenever you receive something, and we all love the story, the story goes like this. I really had a major need, and I prayed and prayed and prayed, and I went out to my mailbox, and guess what was in there? There was a check. Okay, usually that check is attached to somebody. They ended up being the distribution house of your blessing. Are we all tracking with this? So in other words, when God wants to meet a need in this world, he's going to tap on a believer's shoulder and go, hey, can you give him some cash? You're like, what do I got to give him cash? Because that's why I gave it to you. I gave it to you to ricochet off you is really what's going on. I've been trying to throw money at you so it would bounce off your forehead and go help somebody else out. Oh, I didn't know why the coins were hitting me in the head. Okay, because I'm trying to get them to somebody else next to you. That's why. Okay, if you would turn with me to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, we'll really get into the heart of this. But I need us to understand that money is both a stewardship test and a tangible blessing. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. Let's read this, and then I'll pray for the word, and we can dive into tonight's lesson. Uh, it says this, Proverbs 3, 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth. With the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Would you pray with me? Uh, Heavenly Father, may we have a new perspective on the world around us. May we see what is behind that which we do. Uh, would you give us clarity and breathe away all the cobwebs of habit, rut, where we keep thinking we know it all. And breathe afresh into us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm in a uh, world religions class in seminary. Y'all know, if you guys are new, I'm in a nine and a half year long seminary process. Okay, so I'm apparently never getting out, but that's not the point. So I'm in this world religions class, and so we have to study all kinds of stuff. Every major religion of the world, and then we dive into little sects here, or little... Uh, uh, occultism here or whatever. As we're going through and examining all these different things, there's something I noticed that's really common about all cults and religions. And it's that there's little key verses that keep people in line or little key teachings that warn them not to step out of line. Well, whenever Christianity seems to get bent the wrong way or whenever Christianity seems to be involved in a cult-like setting, there's verses like this one that begin to pressure them into doing something that they don't want to do. So let's look at it again. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. What that gets transferred into is give to the church or you ain't going to get anything. And if you don't give to the church, God's not going to bless you. Do you understand the fear concept, the guilt that is constantly thrown out there? The verses like these are harnessed by which to do damage. And that's very frustrating to me. You ever want to know how I feel about the help and wealth prosperity message? Hate it. Are we all clear on that? Okay, I don't want it in my church. I don't want it in your church. I don't want it around us. Do you understand what I'm saying? I got no patience for it. Now, one thing we have to balance out is there are verses that say God desires to bless you because you're his kids and he wants to make you smile. How do you balance that with if I give a little bit, I'm going to get a killer interest rate return on it? OK, right. We got to figure out what in the world we're doing. So when I see this and I read this verse, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Now, this is Old Testament, right? So it's talking about what? Tithing. The first fruits was a demanded 10%. You know, and I've taught on that before. If you want my notes on that? I'll sure give them to you. 
But I don't think that's, uh, that's, I don't really want to hit on that right now. I mean, I've taught on the spiritual side of, of money handling. I've taught it about tithing and giving and offering. I've taught about all that stuff. We can get that CD, but this is Proverbs now. He said, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruit of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Here's what I believe we should take away. Whatever you call it, whether you call it offering, tithe, whatever system you do, whether it's gross, net, whether whether you do it at the end of the week, you do it once a week, you do it once a month, you do it once a year, I don't care. Whatever your system is, give God first and best, period. That's it. We can really get caught up into this pharisaical legalism or this, um, I'm going to do it just right and do this perfect little thing and our hearts aren't even in. Here's the bottom line. God doesn't want your leftovers. And you go, well, you're trying to lead me into giving to the church. Did you see anything about giving in the church there? I didn't, I didn't see that. It's talking about giving back to God. Now, how do we give back to God? Um, you can't write a little letter to the post office. Dear God. Here's your money, okay? Because someone's going to be God. Do you understand what I'm saying? And they're going to receive your money very kindly. All right. You can't give money to God like that. So how do we give it? Well, we give it to people, right? Or organizations. That's what we do. Why? Because we're trying to love on the people God loves. That's what ends up happening. So that's when you start talking about the needy, the marginalized, the poor, the disenfranchised. Um, Sometimes you give to people you know. Where your neighbor's in need, some a family member. And then sometimes you give to the local church because that's where you're fed and you want to keep the doors open, right? I mean, sure, you're going to give to places where that's, that's kind of your little, second home. Okay, I understand all that. But the point is not where you're giving it. The point is, are you honoring God or does your money have you in slavery? That's kind of the point, right? Because, and I've shared this with you before, money does what God does. That's why Jesus talks about it so much. And I've shared with you that statistic. Jesus talked more about money than heaven. Okay? And his purpose in doing so is because heaven doesn't largely become an idol. But money does. Money does what God does. Think about it. What does God do? God's supposed to provide for you. What does money do? Provides for you. Money, what, God's supposed to provide security for your future. What does money do? It provides security for your future. God's supposed to be your escapism. What does money provide? Escapism. I mean, if you go through it, that's the problem. It's not money. Money's a neutral. It's just a thing. The problem is what we make it in our hearts. We've made it into something that equals God. And that's unacceptable. So to break that from the very first story in Scripture after creation is Adam and Eve and they have kids. You guys remember that kid, the kid thing? And then they're supposed to what? Bring offerings to God. I mean, it's from the get-go. The first family has to start giving of what they have so it won't dominate them. That's the point. So, well, look at with me in Proverbs 15, 6. Let's go to the second part. What, I'm, what I want to do as we go through this evening is hit the four major elements, I believe, that Proverbs speaks on money. It's issues like what God does in the financial element. What money does on its own in the financial element, what we must do, things like that. That's what we're going to go through. Um, and let's let's hit this next one. Proverbs 15, 6. The house of the righteous contains great treasure, but the income of the wicked brings them trouble. Well, isn't that one of those prosperity message verses, right? 
So if you are righteous, you're going to be rich. Isn't that what the Bible says? No, that's not what the Bible says. Real quick. Here's a warning. Financial blessing does not indicate holiness. Okay, why? Okay, well, let's take our church as an example. Every year we go through, and we're going to be coming up on one in June, where we go through um, a yearly budget meeting for the church, right? So we got to show the little graphs. How are things working out? And so Russ comes up here, and he throws up a slide, and it begins to show that from, our, from, from the time way back when I arrived at this church 10 and a half, 11, almost 11 years ago, right? We've had growth every year. Year on year, constant growth. I feel like we're the most spoiled church in the world, right? Ten years of growth. How does that happen? And it's over and over and over. Financial blessing, financial blessing. Does that mean we are doctrinally sound? No, it sure doesn't. There's enormous churches in this world. Their doctrine's screwed up. And they're totally messed up. And they have nothing going on that maybe God is even pleased with. That does not indicate that they're solid. And it doesn't indicate that for us. Sometimes it's a test. Sometimes it's just this idea where God's going, how far are you guys going to run with this? You know what I mean? It's not an automatic indicator that God is pleased with your behavior. As a matter of fact, many times it's, it's not at all. But I don't even think that's what's being said in this verse, per se. The house of the righteous contains great treasure, but the income of the wicked brings them trouble. Well, let's break it down. How should we read this? What brought... Great treasure. What's it say in your Bible? What, what are they? Righteousness. Did that say good planning? Did that say anything about finance? No, it didn't. It talked all about doing right in the eyes of God. In other words, righteousness brought the treasure. Okay? What brought trouble? Wickedness. Okay, so, so wickedness brought the trouble. Okay, how about being really, really practical? There is a natural blessing to not screwing it up. Right? I mean, the righteous are trying to do it God's way. They're making right choices, right steps with right priority, and they're putting everything in line. So it's not likely that they're going to completely screw up their whole lives by bad choices. But the wicked are going to be so lost in their wickedness, they're going to keep stepping on their own toes and getting nowhere and lose everything. I think this is a practicality message. I think the idea is going, hey, if you do things right, you know what's kind of a cool byproduct? Things go well for you. But if you do things totally horrible and all you do is run around and hurt other people, things probably aren't going to go super well for you. I mean, it's not rocket science. It's pretty darn clear. But I do believe that in addition to that, that sometimes your Heavenly Father says, you know what? I love what you're doing. I love the fact that you're handling things well. And I'd love to bless you. I do think there's some of that. I don't know how to label it. I don't know how to box it. Right? But I do think that it's there. But I definitely know that it's true that God's going to go, hey, listen, if I keep giving you money, you keep handling it wrongly, so I'm going to stop doing that. I mean, isn't that true too? Isn't that what you do as a good parent? You stop giving your kids stuff when they start acting like brats. Okay, I think God does the same stuff. So sometimes you're going to see the supply shut off. We pick up the next one in Proverbs 10:22. What else does God do? Not only does He bless, not only does He want primacy or being first, but He's the one who in His pockets has contentment and peace, right? 
Proverbs 10.22, the blessing of the Lord brings wealth and he adds no trouble to it. If God has the corner market on contentment, here's your two choices. Money can either come free or with baggage. Your choice. What do I mean by baggage? I mean, if you're not doing it God's way and God doesn't bring it about to you, it's going to come with strings attached. And it's going to come pretty messed up. It's going to come with grief. But if God brings it, if it's a blessing of God, He is the one that can also give it and bestow contentment and peace with it. And that's the kind of money that you want. You don't want the garbage money. You don't want the money that you sold your soul for. You don't want any of that kind of stuff. You want money that pleases the Lord. Do you understand what I'm saying? All right, good. I'm tracking with one of you. Proverbs 15:16. Here we go. Everyone else, night night. Proverbs 15, verse 16. I'm playing. Proverbs 15, verse 16. This is is the other side of that same coin. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Better a meal of vegetables where there is love than a fattened calf with hatred. In other words, God and peace with a little bit is a lot better than a ton with turmoil or bad. Uh, Here's how I wrote it in my mind. This is a practical extension of this. Don't trade what you can't replace. You go, ask, what do you mean? I mean, maybe you can trade an hour of sleep, okay, because you can catch up, right? So instead of getting eight and a half hours sleep, you get seven and a half hours sleep because you work a little harder. All right, cool. That's fine. You can catch up on that a little bit. Now, if you continue to sustain not having sleep, you're going to screw yourself up. But you can replace it. You can't replace your child being five again. Y'all get what I'm going with this? Okay, your kids have a childhood. If you work through their whole childhood, you're never getting it back again. That's what I mean. Don't trade what you can't replace. And you can't replace the innocence of the child that you were raising. So you don't work your whole life giving away your family only to assume that you can run and catch up later. Because it doesn't work that way. Trade what you can replace. But don't trade what you can't replace. We'll pick up the next one in Proverbs 23, verse 4. Let's talk about the issue of restraint. Proverbs 23, verse 4. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. All right. Proper perspective. Riches come and go just like that. So please don't sweat it and make that your whole focus of your life. Because then you just look stupid. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, Now, I understand we all have a desire for money. I mean, why not? Let's see. I can either go through today with 20 bucks or I can go through today with with nothing. One gets me Burger King. One doesn't. Okay, I get that. I mean, we're all real human beings and it's fun to have stuff. And I understand every one of us are going to look over and go, hey, how can I make more money than I'm making now? I mean, why wouldn't we do that? If you had an opportunity with all things being equal of two jobs, one job paid six bucks an hour, one job paid seven bucks an hour, and they were both the identical job, which one would you choose? Well, you'd be a moron to choose the six dollar an hour, right? You grab the seven dollar an hour job because that's called being smart. Okay, so the point is we're all trying to amass things and gain things because we have to put gas in our tank, and that's apparently 12 bucks a gallon now. You understand what I'm saying? 
So we all understand that we're going to chase after finding a way to make money in our lives. So what perspective should we have on it? At least put it where it needs to be. Which is you can cast a glance at it and it's going to go away. So don't wear yourself out chasing for it all the time because it's too elusive. You're just not going to grab a hold of it. Now here's another thing that I want to suggest. I want to suggest that if you have an easy time making money and you're really good at it, I believe that is a spiritual gift. You're like, well, that doesn't say that in the Bible. The lists in the Bible are not exhaustive. As a matter of fact, I mentioned a few weeks ago that God gave the spiritual gift of craftsmanship to the people building the temple. That's not a spiritual gift either. But it is. Okay. You got a spiritual gift. What does a gift and a talent bring but responsibility? If you make money really well, make as much money as you possibly can within balance. If you're good at it, do it well. Then what happens is you have a great responsibility to be a distribution house for God and to kick that stuff out as fast as you can and be as generous as possible. But understand, if I don't teach and I have a gift for teaching, you'd call me a bad steward, right? If you have the ability to make money and you're just kicking back doing nothing about it, then that makes you a bad steward. So do what God built you to do and do it well. But don't let it master you. Just as I can get caught up in my gift, you can get caught up in your gift. We just have to keep things in proper perspective and quit getting so extreme about everything. Right? We pick up the last one on this element. It's Proverbs 30, verse 7. This is one of those verses that locks in your head. By the way, no one on their deathbed ever says, I wish I would have worked more. You guys have all heard that phrase? I mean, it's pretty practical, right? Uh, Proverbs 30, verse 7. This is one that is rattled around in my brain, and I thought, gosh, this is brilliant. Uh, it just kind of strikes at the core. Two things I ask of you, O Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. And give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and dishonor the name of my God. I mean, what amazing wisdom. That he would go, you know what? If I have too little, it will dominate me. If I have too much, it will dominate me. It is only within the middle, within the reason that I can even see you, Jesus. You know what I mean? Now this, you go, well, Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. So he ripped off from Jesus. Nope, we're a thousand years before Jesus. We're going way back, right? So did Jesus rip it off from him? No, I don't think so. Here's what I want you to do as it deals with money. Know your limitations. There are some of us that just by our personalities and by where we're at in life, we can't handle money. You guys, this, this was amazing to me. There was a gentleman that used to attend our church for a great amount of time. And he was an alcoholic. And he lived on the streets. And he was always a great, great guy. And he just really wrestled in that area. And so constantly. Well, he, periodically he would go get a job. And he would earn money. And inevitably... Just randomly, he'd walk in and go, Lance, hold this for me. And he'd put the money in my hand. I'm like, what am I doing with this? And he goes, I don't want it. Just keep it away from me. What was he doing? 
he was understanding his limitations. And he was like, you know what? If I have that, I know where I'm going. You understand? So I'm going to get it away from me. Okay, that's called a wisdom. All right. So what we need to do is realize that sometimes we can't be around certain things. And for some of us, that's money. We can't be around a certain amount of money. We can't go to the mall certain times because we're just so weak that we're totally focused on stuff. We can't even go forward. And we get all hung up. Walking through the mall gets you depressed. Don't have that. 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 Hey, look, she's cute. Don't have that. Don't have that. Don't have that. Do you see what I'm saying? So the idea is that you've got to know your limitations. You've got to understand, are you weak in this area? Then quit messing with it. Back off. Same thing goes with money. Let's pick it up in Proverbs 14, 20. These are areas in which God was operating very, very specifically in the area of finance. What does money do on its own? Well, let's talk about the facts of wealth. This is not saying it's good or bad. It's just saying it's the way it is. And I believe we can pull something out of it. Proverbs 14, 20. The poor are shunned even by their neighbors, but the rich have many friends. There you go. doesn't say it's a good idea. It just says that's the way it is. All right. Is it true? Yeah. Here's why. It's really fun to have friends that have cabins in Tahoe. All right. It's really fun. To, and during the summer, you want friends that have a boat or a pool. Okay, the point is, is that a lot of times we establish the connections we do out of selfish means and what I can gain. And if you were that rich person, guess what? A lot of the connections that you've made may likely be due to your wealth. And you need to understand that and accept that. Because all of a sudden you're going to be horrified when you lose your job and suddenly those folks aren't calling Wealth is like uh, moths to a flame. It's this, it draws people towards you because you can benefit them. So you need to understand that the way money works is where there's money, people will show up. Okay? It's just the way it is. So if you operate in that arena, just be aware. Okay? Um, second element is Proverbs 22.7. Another fact of life about money. Proverbs 22.7 the rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. You guys ever heard of the phrase debtor's prison? That's an old school concept. In, in the ancient world, they had debtor's prison. And if you owed money to somebody and you couldn't pay, they could basically put you in jail or enslave your family to pay off the money. Right? We have the same thing today. It's called garnishment of wages. You ever had a bill collector card hounding you at home? At home? Okay, they can make your life a living hell, right? Because that's their job. Their job is to be a moving debtor's prison. So you need to understand this. Every one of us needs to grow up to the idea that when you are in debt, that entity owns you. That's what you just need to face. No, they don't. Really? Yeah, they do. Watch, they can affect your mood. When you walk in and you're avoiding your answering machine. They're controlling your life. See, the point is, we just have to understand what we're doing. In, in the premarital counseling class that I do, we go through a whole week of discussing finance. Because in marriage, that's something that's argued about pretty consistently. And so what I do is I talk about the issues of debt. And so I have them list out. I said, all right, you guys, in this side of the column, let's talk about good debt. And on this side of the column, let's talk about bad debt, right? So we start out with the good debt thing. And I go, all right, 
what's good debt? And somebody goes, house. And I go, all right, let's all talk about that for a second. Is a house good debt? And everyone goes, yeah. I mean, it's, it's necessary debt. I don't know anybody that can pay cash for a house. And if you go, well, I'm going to save up the $450,000 of this house, and then you're like 92, you finally afford the house, but now it's $5 million. So, okay, so it's going to chase away from you. So I understand the necessity of the debt of locking down and going into an agreement, right? Are we all, we understand that? I go, what else? What else is good debt? Car. Okay, so I go, all right, you sure? What kind of car? Is there not the ability to go out and say, I'm going to get this car that's way out of my league. And then all you do is get enslaved to that car payment. Is that wise? I don't think that's good debt. So, in other words, a car within reason, perhaps, to fill a need. Okay. The only other one that anyone ever comes up with is school loans. Because it allows for a greater earning capacity in the future. Other than that, we basically got nothing in that category. Everything else is on the bad debt side. Okay, here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. And this is not a financial seminar, all right? But I do have an investment opportunity for you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> totally kidding. We need to strive for debt-free living. Why? Because Paul said, I will not be mastered by anything. I would include not, my, not mastered by anyone, right? Uh, I don't want to be owned by somebody else, and I don't think that's wise. Now, my wife and I have struggled with this issue a number of times because uh, since the moment we were married, we just celebrated our 15 years of knowing each other. That was very funny. So on May 8th, we have two little uh, anniversaries, when we met each other and when we got married. And so we just had this 15 years, and we've always strived for debt-free living. And eventually, you keep stepping in potholes where you never intended to have debt. Something slammed into you, and you got debt. Then you ferociously attack it to pay it off, and then something else slams into you, which you weren't intending. So I know it's a slippery slope, but here's the point. Strive for it. Work for it. Do your best so that you're not owned by anybody, that you're free to move when God asks you to move. Do you understand what I'm saying? All right. Uh, the next element is uh, Proverbs 11.4. Can you turn with me there? Proverbs 11.4. There are limits to what money can do. We've all heard, money can't buy me love. I get that. Proverbs 11.4, it's more than that. This one's about as practical as you get. Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Okay, here's your question. In the end, does it matter? I mean, that's the question you've got to ask. Is this worth selling my soul for? Because that's what a lot of people end up doing. They sell their soul for something that doesn't matter in the end. And you guys have that quote on your page about the dead only go to the other life clutching what they've given away. You guys saw that quote? That's the idea. The idea is that, and the Bible phrases it like this, store up treasures in heaven, right? Where neither rust nor moth destroys. I mean, all these kinds of ideas. The point is, are you investing eternally as opposed to just temporarily? Okay? We, we got to have a bit more of a foresight of going, you know what? I'm going to spend a lot more time in heaven than I'm going to spend down here. Yeah, but I really want that. Okay, and at some point you just have to tell yourself no. And that's the hardest one of all, right? Right. We pick it up in Proverbs 13.8. Proverbs 13.8. This is another practical liability of, of having wealth. A man's riches may ransom his life, but a poor man hears no threat. In other words, it's great that you can pay the people that kidnapped you, but you wouldn't have got kidnapped in the first place if you were poor. Okay. Wealth brings Problems with it. And that's what you got to understand. 
it attracts difficulty. Okay, and you go, gosh, I really wish I could be the total rich guy in the Christian world. All right, here we go. Now, this is funny. Everyone's going to shout out a different answer. It's going to ruin my whole analogy. Okay. However, think in your mind. Don't say it out loud. When you think of the wealthiest Christian in our region, what name do you come up with? Almost always Buzz Oates. Right? Buzz Oates gets brought up in every single discussion. Everyone goes, who's Buzz Oates? He owns all the building, all the land, or on the cattle on a thousand hills. Anyway, really wealthy guy. Now... I tell you this, you really want to be that guy? Really? So your whole life is everyone calling you and asking you for something. Boy, that sounds really joyful. And when you tell them no, they hate you and disparage your name. Really? That sounds really fun. Okay, you don't want to be that. Why? Because this poor guy, that every endeavor that starts anywhere in Christianity, within a thousand miles from here, everyone goes, dude, Jess Buzz Oates, Jess Buzz Oates, Jess Buzz Oates. Okay, that poor guy has to keep saying no, no, no his whole life. Isn't that one of the hardships of folks that win the lottery? All of a sudden, everyone wants something from them. And then your whole life you spend telling people no, and they're angry at you. The point is, wealth brings liability, and you just need to understand that. I know we dream it up, a perfect scenario, but it doesn't exist. It comes with hardship. It comes with responsibility. Let's pick it up in Proverbs 15, 27. Proverbs 15, 27, just the first part of the verse. A greedy man brings trouble to his family. A greedy man brings trouble to his family. Here's the thought, just to keep in the back of your mind. Perhaps we should have more pictures of our family in our wallet than credit cards. Right? I mean, I don't know. Maybe you don't carry pictures in your wallet. Greed is about selfishness, and it's got no place in the family of God. You understand, greed is not just about trying to gain properly. Greed is about consumption of being. When money owns you, you've lost your family. You understand, it's just merely another way of saying addiction to money. By definition, addiction is the most important thing to you. That's what it means. Therefore, everyone takes a back seat. So when money replaces God, we've got a problem. Uh, let's dive into Proverbs 21:20. If God does specific things in the financial world, if money does specific things in the financial world, what then must we do? What must our reaction be? Well, there's a couple things in Proverbs I wanted to point out, two in particular. The first one is found in Proverbs 21:20. Says this: In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. Saving is wise, folks. And America does it worst. We're not very good at it. We just don't do it. It's really funny because I, I've had a number of friends here in this congregation, you guys are probably here in this service, that have lost your jobs. And they'll say phrases like, man, after about two months, I'm doomed. And I'm like, really? You can live two months? That's awesome. Yeah. I thought everyone was living paycheck to paycheck. What are you talking about? Is there like some store? You didn't save, did you? Okay. Here's the thing. It's so shocking to me that anyone would ever save anything. 
Because I, I, I'm surrounded all the time with this idea of paycheck to paycheck to paycheck to paycheck. And this idea that we always feel like we're going to earn more money tomorrow than we do today. We always have this concept that your next job is going to be more money than your current job. That's always our impression. We always assume that we're going to go up and to the right throughout our lifetime. Why do we believe that? Because of the generation you were born into. I don't know anybody in this room, and, and perhaps I'm, I'm scanning real quick. I don't know anybody in this room that went through the Depression. You understand what I'm saying? You have no idea what hardship means. We've all grown up in a world where America was prospering. What, we have a little recession here and there? It's nothing like Black Tuesday. You know what I'm saying? It, oh, my stocks aren't doing so well. Really? How about when the whole market bottoms out and everybody loses everything? You've never been through that. And if you haven't been through that, talk to someone from the Depression era and ask them about savings. Those folks latch on to things ferociously because they know what it is to lose everything. We have always been in a process of gain, 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 gain. So we never save because, heck, why should I save the day when I'll earn more tomorrow? But what if tomorrow falls apart? And see, you have to balance out storage and hoarding. Right? Because everyone I know that's hoarding calls it storage. They just go, well, what are you doing with your money? I'm saving for retirement. You're saving for retirement or you're hoarding for retirement? What's the, what, how do I deter, the, you know, discern between those two? Okay, we use a lot of labels to excuse ourselves. I'm leaving that between you and God. I have no idea what that limit is. It is wise to save. It's greedy to hoard. I don't know how to say it any other way. And so we figure it out between us and Jesus. Proverbs 11:24. Two final verses on the last issue I want to address about what we must do in the area of finance. If the first was saving, the second is generosity. Proverbs 11:24. One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. How is it possible to give and still gain? Because God owns everything. That's how. You know, everyone goes, can't give God, can't give God. And it's, it's really true. But those folks aren't giving away everything every day. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we understand the concept, but we're like... Can I give God within reason? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, we still have this concept of realizing we need to be good stewards with our money. But the bottom line is you can give away and God can replenish. Because then all of a sudden things start clicking and God is going, I'm just trying to train you that it's okay. You're not all alone. You don't have to make everything happen yourself. I'm on your side. You understand what I'm saying? Um, here, here's the deal. The New Testament view of the rich is interesting. Okay, we have two different concepts of stories. Uh, a lot of Christians will immediately focus on the rich young ruler. You guys remember this story? This is a really weird story. It's um, where Jesus is really mean to people. <laughs> I don't know if you guys remember this story. The rich young ruler is a, a young Pharisee type guy. He's super wealthy. He comes cruising up to Jesus when Jesus is sitting down teaching some folks. And he asked a series of questions. He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, all of us would call that guy a seeker. 
right? And so we would want to be really nice to him. And we want to coddle him and tell him, Jesus will solve all your problems. Okay. So Jesus said, well, I have a Ten Commandments. How are you doing there? Because he said, you know the law. In other words, you're, that's all you're focused on. So clearly, I don't know. How do you think you're going to do? He's like, oh, I got the Ten Commandments down. That's good. I'm fine. Which is, in my opinion, a total lie. But anyway, he said, no, I'm good on all those. And Jesus said, all right, well, then let me hit to the core of the problem. Give everything you have to the poor and follow me. Let's go. Now, <laughs> what happened? What was the end result? He walked away. The rich young ruler walked away depressed because he had great wealth. That's what the Bible says. Okay, so in other words, it became his God. And Jesus said, hey, can I be your God? And he said, no. Now, everyone seems to focus over on that idea. And they're going, well, Jesus, I can't submit totally to Jesus because he's going to make me give all my stuff away. Okay, real quick practical news. If everybody in the Christian church gave all their stuff away, we'd be all leeches in the world. Okay, that's probably not what he's going to ask you to do. As a matter of fact, that wasn't asked very often at all. Here's the point. Every time wealth ends up being mentioned in Paul's writings, he ends up saying stuff like this. If you're rich, be generous. Thank you. Good night. I mean, that was it. He was like, if you're rich, that's fine. Just handle it right. Give, 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 give. But not this idea of everyone has to automatically be poor because poverty is spiritual. That's baloney. Be wise and do what Jesus asks you to do. I don't care how much money you have. The more money you have, the more money you give away. All right. You want to be rich? That's fine. It just comes with responsibility. Finally, Proverbs 22, 9. In the year of world impact, I can think of no better verse to close on than this. By the way, I have no idea what time it is. Here we go. Proverbs 22, 9. A generous man will himself be blessed, for he shares his food with the poor. Okay, sometimes you keep seeing the poor in your life because God is looking at the poor and he's trying to get your attention. That's why. You go, why do I keep seeing everywhere I go? I drive down K Street, I see the poor. I drive down this one, I see the poor. Because God's trying to get your attention. He's trying to point out that there's poor people. And you need to realize that. Perhaps God is meeting their needs through you. Are you willing? You know, it's interesting because we're so willing to play the whole, I think it's Isaiah, here I am, send me game. We're all willing to do that as long as it's a noble calling. Right? Oh God, you're going to send me to change the world. Here I am. Look at me. Here, send me. And he's like, well, actually, I wanted somebody to give a whole bunch of cash for the poor. Oh, my hand was, I'm sorry. I was, I was, I was itching my head. I didn't. I wasn't really raising my hand. Okay. When you give to the poor, it's partially about them. That's called loving your neighbor. And it's partially about God. It's called loving your God. It's the two greatest commandments of Christianity. Love your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. When you give to the poor, it is a little bit about loving people. But it's a lot about loving your God because He loves those people. Does that make sense? As we close, let me remind you of these thoughts. Money isn't really about money. It's about stewardship. It's about blessing. And have you been faithful on the small things? Is there any reason He should give you anything else? Is there any reason He should give you spiritual authority? Is there any reason He should help allow you to build the church? 
Is there any reason he should allow you to mentor somebody else? Is there any reason that he should allow you to impact other people's lives if you're not even handling the little green stuff very well? I mean, if it's a test, we're not doing so hot. And so why should he move us on? That seems kind of silly. But here's the thing. God wants to use us as a distribution house to the world. And so he'll keep giving us stuff to meet the needs of the people around us. You go, man, this is awesome. I can't believe I'm so, I, I have so much money. And that means that there's a lot of folks within your area of influence that are needy. And that's, that's really the scenario. And he's going to ricochet it, like I told you. So he's going to keep blessing you and go, hey, you got a job. you got a solid job. Look at your income. Okay, well, hold on a second. Let's not immediately rise up to meet our income, because isn't that what we all do? I don't care how much money you make. All your bills are always going to rise up to meet your income. You make $250,000 a year, you're strapped. You make sixty grand a year, you're strapped. doesn't matter. Your amount of your income is not. If you meet with any financial planner, they'll always talk about it's not your income that's a problem. It's your spending. Right? That's actually where you have to curtail things. It's not your income. People can live off an awful little if they don't spend a whole lot. So, the purpose in saying this is that Jesus is going to keep blessing you and giving you opportunities to thrive. He'll keep blessing you, giving you opportunities to bless. He'll keep blessing you and going, all right, kids, can we do it today? All right, today, here we go, paycheck again. What are we going to do with it? How are we going to handle it? What are we going to think of? Who are we going to bless? How are we going to bless the world? Let's change the world. Let's go, 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 go. Oh, you squandered it. (laughs) All right. Next two weeks. All right, kids, here we go. We got another paycheck. Let's go, 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 go. Right? Do you see what I'm saying? Is that Jesus is going, we can do amazing stuff with this. What are you doing? Stop. No. Come on. Let's go this direction, this direction. And so it's almost like he's consistently, every two weeks, giving you an opportunity to partner with him in ministry. It's not because he needs you. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need any of us. But he loves spending time with us, and it's fun for him to do things with us. And so he goes, hey, you want to completely impact that guy's life over there? You want to do that? Let's do it. Check this out. Watch for games of money. Whoa, look at that. That was awesome. (laughs) Right? I mean, that's really what's going on internally. Because I believe that money is not about money. And I believe that money is about changing the world. Because it's just one element of where we put our heart. And when we put our heart somewhere, usually God can do pretty awesome stuff with it. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for a, a wonderful evening of challenge. Thank you, Lord, for uh, giving us the opportunity to see afresh what you might do through us. I pray, Lord, that uh, we would get it. That we wouldn't just be selfish about what we do, but we would see money for what it is. It's an opportunity. And I pray, Lord, that we would begin to try to seek ways in which we can bless you, seek to bless other people, and, Father, that in some ways we would be wise. In Jesus' name, amen.